Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with Lions.com, and as always, I'm joined by the one, the only, Kelly Ford. Kelly, what's going on? How are you today? I'm doing great, man. We've already done the midweek. Now we're talking about Saturday, and I want to repeat something I said at the beginning of the midweek show. People have kind of um, talked down on this week three slate. They're saying there's really not a whole lot of great games, and my response to that is I will give you that it's not the most loaded college football Saturday we've ever seen. However, we only get 13 full-on college football Saturdays. I'm not counting week zero. I'm not counting Army-Navy as full-on college football Saturdays. We only get 13. This is one of them. We wait all year to get these things. Let's please not take them for granted. Don't be the person that says, oh, I'm going to go do this or go do that, or this fall wedding's actually okay this week. Like, oh my gosh, someone said that, and I was just like, I almost I almost muted them, just like out of instinct. Like, no, that's not okay. Don't do that. I, I bit my tongue and didn't respond. But guys, we only get 13 of these things. I understand it doesn't have some of the high-profile matchups that we've grown accustomed to, but these are the kind of weeks that spell college football chaos. So don't sleep on this. I'm very excited. We've got, what, like eight or nine games we're going to talk about today, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, as it always is, Brett. Yeah, before we get into it, don't forget to follow the lines at the Lines US on Twitter or X or whatever the kids are calling it these days. I am at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here each and every week breaking down the college football slate as well as the individual weeknight games. As Kelly alluded to, you can go back and listen to those previews that are now up on all podcast feeds and on our YouTube. Uh, Quick weather note also before we get into the first game, Florida State at Boston College. You may have noticed that that total dropped 8 to 10 points. That's because that big old nasty hurricane that was out there is going to make some sort of landfalls, a storm or something in the very extreme uh, northeast. And it is going to dump buckets of rain on the Boston area in there, um, Florida State, Boston College, and I believe UConn's on the road at Georgia State, so that shouldn't be an issue. But uh, yeah, I think that's going to be the big game that is affected by the weather here. Otherwise, thank Christ, after last week, we don't have a lot of weather impacts on our on our slate ahead, so that is good. The first game I want to talk about, number 15, Kansas State, is a five-point favorite on the road at Missouri. This game carries an over-under of 48 points, kicks off at noon Eastern on the SEC Network. Now, I just said there's no weather impacts, but I am going to preface this with there is a small sub-30% chance of rain here uh, early in the week. Of course, that'll change by the time Saturday gets around. And the movement so far in the market is favor Kansas State, pushing it up from a very brief minus 2.5 opening mark. Now, if you join the Lions free Discord server, I usually push this later, but I'm going to push it now. You've got a pretty good number on Kansas State because I did bite at a number that is no longer actionable. But if you're in our uh, Discord server, you would have gotten a push notification and been able to jump on that when I did. Missouri, on the other side, they're off to a questionable start. They beat Middle Tennessee 23-19. It seems that the Blue Raiders are always kind of that pesky team, but they didn't need to score 48 points or whatever they did on Miami last year to make this a game. Uh, Missouri had just three explosive plays on 72 plays from scrimmage. Not great, especially against what should be an overmatched opponent. Eli Drinkowitz seems to be okay with being a half team, like good defense, kind of sluggish on offense. I thought Brady Cook would like be solid and actually improve the offense a little bit, even though they can't really throw the ball downfield in their spring game. Uh, whoops. Yeah, that has not been the case so far. One of the stars on offense, though, Luther Burton, wide receiver, five-star, I think one of the highest recruits ever to go to Missouri. He's second currently in the country in yards per route run at 4.88, so at least they're getting him the football. But he's kind of doing it himself. He's missed. He's forced seven missed tackles and has an 8 out of just 9.3, which is actually the lowest among the top five in yards per route run. Uh, the Tigers are pretty good when they pass it. Like, they found success. They're 17th nationally in passing success rate through two games against that eh, questionable opposition. But the thing is, is they don't pass it. They, they like to line up and run the football. They're 121st in passes per game with just 24. Uh, and some of that was like a product of playing South Dakota as an FCS opponent, you know, run the ball out, try to just get away with the win uh, instead of airing it out. I get it, I suppose. Kansas State, they're like Missouri, but they have a functioning offense in this case. They're 20th in EPA per play. They beat up on a Troy team that I thought was pretty good. They forced four turnovers, so defensively they're coming through. In the backfield, we have DJ Giddens and Treshawn Ward. They're splitting carries pretty evenly. Giddens has actually been like a bit more effective through the first two games, to my surprise. I thought Treshawn Ward was going to be the, the workhorse and also very, very good. But Giddens has been out producing him so far. Um, again, it's a tough sample size, though. The FCS and then uh, Troy was very physically outmatched. One important injury note, Christian Duffy, who's an all-conference offensive lineman and a future NFL draft pick, potentially a high one. He has not played in weeks one or two. 
He did return to practice, and the quote is, we should know by Thursday whether or not he's going to suit up on Saturday, so keep your eye on that. He's very necessary against this Missouri defensive line that held Middle Tennessee's offensive line to negative 0.3 line yards per carry. I don't care who the opponent is. That's impressive. Yeah, no doubt, Brett. You hit on a ton of the salient points here. Um, Outside of Texas and Oklahoma, Kansas State has the best chance to make the Big 12 championship game by my numbers. The game at Texas in Week 10 is the only game all season in which I make the Wildcats a projected underdog currently by the current set of numbers. So I have Kansas State minus 9 in this one. It's a 74% win expectancy. The Wildcats are up more than 4 points in my power ratings um, and have risen from number 21 in the preseason to number 17 currently. So not a huge jump in the rankings, but the ratings have been very impressive. And that's the more important piece here, the more informative piece. The defense has been about what I expected, still hovering in the 20s, but the offense has been improved. Um, They've moved up from number 26 to number 15 following shutout wins against FCS Southeast Missouri and a really strong performance in a 42-13 win against Troy. As you mentioned, no G5 slip-up at home this year for Kansas State like last year against Tulane. That Tulane team turned out to be pretty good. I still think this Troy team is pretty good, but Kansas State certainly handled their business. Um, While this is the first time the Wildcats have had to go on the road this season, I have Kansas State with the best two units in this game, and I do expect them to get the job done. Um, Despite a 2-0 start, the model hasn't been super impressed with Missouri. Uh, The Tigers have been downgraded nearly three points in the ratings and have fallen from number 38 to number 51. So you can see they actually had less rating movement, but much more ranking movement. That's because the farther down in the the ratings that you get within those, farther down in the rankings that you get, the smaller and smaller those margins are between uh, the ratings of these different teams. So down 13 spots, even though that's only three points. Kansas State was up four points, only four spots. So um, opposite from Kansas State, this Missouri offense has been about what I expected. And it's the defense that has, has struggled a little bit more. You touched on this. They've fallen from number 20 to number 30 nationally. So it's still a really good unit. But I just don't think in this game, good is going to be good enough. Uh, The Tigers' chance to go bowling has decreased from 63% in the preseason to now a 50-50 proposition. So, I mean, part of playing in the SEC, right? And uh, and it's only going to get harder as Texas and Oklahoma come in and they get rid of the divisions where Missouri's been in the the East despite their geographic location. Um, So that's only going to get harder for the Tigers as they move forward. But for this game, bottom line, I have Kansas State minus 9 with a 26% chance for Missouri to pull off the upset win at home. Yeah, it, Missouri's so frustrating because it's not a talent issue. They're 24th this year in a 24-7 sports' team composite rankings. I know that's based primarily on recruiting. Guys don't always develop like that. But I, I do think it comes down to a philosophy issue in which they could be a lot better and a lot more dangerous. But, you know, I say that what's going to happen is uh, they're going to give Georgia or, you know, Tennessee or something a real tough game later in the year despite um, not showing out very well against Middle Tennessee. Uh, my aggregated power ratings, they align with yours. I'd say anything under six with Kansas State is probably fine to lay. Uh, five is about as dead a number as you'll find on the entire board. So you're afforded some patience. You can wait to see if that moves up or down a little bit, maybe get a better number. Uh, if you are looking maybe to bet Missouri at home here, uh, you can definitely wait on that. I love throwing this out. Uh, when there's coaches that are particularly good against the spread with with a sizable base, uh, Chris Kleiman, nobody better in the FBS against the spread. He covers 64% of the time, and this is going into year five now. I mean, this is a program that perennially overproduces and, and beats expectations. So uh, if you are looking for just a little thing to nudge you over the edge, uh, Kansas State does that. So uh, again, if you're in the Discord, you would have gotten a lot better number on this, but I'd still play anything uh, under six, I think, for Kansas State. Moving forward, we have Wake Forest, a 13.5-point favorite on the road at Old Dominion. This game carries an over-under of 61 points. It also kicks off at noon Eastern, this time on ESPN2. The Deeks on the road, uh, they're at SB Ballard Stadium. Uh, I kind of like this place. It's newly renovated. Uh, it's pretty nice in Norfolk, but um, I miss the old curved stands. It's used to have like a half-sunset-looking uh, set of stands, and they demolished those, and I'm kind of sad about that, but... Uh, when they host a big opponent, I was there at Virginia Tech last year, uh, it can get pretty loud, pretty rowdy, and very packed. And I expect the same thing against Wake Forest here. Uh, a couple injury notes for the Deeks. Uh, running back Justice Ellison cover, uh, suffered a concussion last week. He's questionable to play. He's listed as a starter, but he's getting outworked by a lot of guys on this roster. Um, and also starting linebacker Chase Jones is questionable to go on Saturday as well. Last week against Vanderbilt, um, you know, it, it was tough to kind of pull data from and, and gauge kind of how well they played 
because this game was weather delayed for like it was one of those games where it was pretty much on the whole afternoon uh but different games were on the actual stream because they weren't playing uh but they managed to force four turnovers again that could be a little bit weather related i don't know that vanderbilt's really all that good they're kind of an offense that goes for it and doesn't mind if they turn the ball over uh quarterback wise though mitch griffiths i think he looks pretty good I think in Dave Clawson's system, though, you can make a lot of quarterbacks look very good and very efficient. It's very friendly, kind of like the Kyle Shanahan system up in the NFL. I mean, very different functionally, but it serves the same purpose of making your offense look pretty good, despite maybe not having a Sam Hartman-level quarterback. Uh, But yeah, Mitch Griffiths, I maintain, is pretty good. 29th nationally in QBR, and he doesn't have the wide receivers of the years past at Wake here. You know, he doesn't have A.T. Perry or one of those real go-to guys. On the other side... I mean, the, the real story about this game is just offense versus offense. Because Old Dominion, they brought in a new system from Fordham, and it is working. They're up from 115th to 38th in points per drive this season. So a market increase there. Uh, I kind of expected it. You know, you looked at Fordham. They were scoring almost 50 points a clip last year, and they bring this up into low-level FBS. Their quarterback, Grant Wilson, who did transfer with his offensive coordinator from Fordham, leads the country in average depth of target at 149 He is what you call a gunslinger because he also has a sub 60% completion and it rounds out to only 7.6 yards per attempt because he's slinging it downfield and it's not always connecting. Um, But I like that he's taking shots. In this kind of offense at Old Dominion, when you're outmatched by a lot of your opponents, why not? Especially in the non-conference, don't play conservative, air the ball out, try to, uh, you know, take care of the ball, which he is doing so far. Uh, I like what Old Dominion's been doing so far, but I'm interested to know what your numbers make of this game, Kelly. Yeah, I have Wake Forest minus 15 with an 86% win expectancy, but this does feel like just kind of one of those tricky trap games, not because of anything schedule related or anything like that. It's just, I feel like these, you know, Virginia, Virginia Techs against James Madison, Old Dominion, like these schools kind of in that Virginia, North Carolina area, when they play these G5s or formerly FCS, I feel like they struggle sometimes. And, you know, Wake Forest is not the team they've been in recent years with Sam Hartman, but they're still, they're still a good team. They're still the favorite here by me. Like I said, 86% chance to win. But keep an eye on this one. I, I like that we're talking about it because it does feel just a little tricky. Um, the Demon Deacons power rating took a hit after their 37-17 win against FCS Elon in week one. It's, it sounds weird. Hey, they won by 20. They did not perform up to the level that the model expected against a, an FCS Elon team that uh, is not that great, uh, especially for the D1 level. They did bounce back, though, uh, a little bit after the 36-20 win against Vanderbilt in week two. Both those games were at home, though, so this is the first time Wake will be hitting the road, but granted, it isn't very far uh, to Norfolk from Winston-Salem, but still, they're on the road for the first time this year. An offensive rank of 35 and a defensive rank of 58 means that Wake Forest has the two best units in this game, and it isn't particularly close. I know you talked about that Old Dominion offense. Um, I'll get to that. They're still within the point, though. For, for Old Dominion, they're coming in, coming off of a great win at home against Louisiana last week. Yeah. And my, my pregame win expectancy for that was only 28% for the Monarchs, and they got it done. So you're going to see improvement from them anytime you're projected to lose and you win uh, in, in, in somewhat convincing fashion or, or reassuring fashion that they did. They're going to improve. But even with that, Old Dominion is still within the point where they started in the power ratings. They've improved their rank from number 119 to number 115. The two units have moved a bit. The offense, like you said, it's up. Uh, it's up for me, not quite as much as what you talk about in their points per drive. Number 106 uh, currently from number 128 in the preseason. The defense is down from number 99, uh, or excuse me, to number 99 from number 81. So um, they've kind of gone in different directions, but I am encouraged by this offense. I do think they will uh, provide somewhat of a test here, just given the geographic proximity of these two and how these games tend to go. Uh, but bottom line, I have Wake Forest minus 15. It's a 14% chance for Old Dominion to pull off a second consecutive surprise win at home following that game against Louisiana in week two. Yeah, I, I think Old Dominion is just the next in a line of, of a proven model to go down into the FCS ranks, find an innovator, Zach Kitley, uh, we're seeing, of course, with Texas State, with G.J. Kinney from UIW. I mean, like, Colorado even. I know we brought uh, Sean Lewis's system over from Kent State. But to find these scoring-heavy, high-tempo, air-it-out kind of offenses from the FCS, pull them up into the FBS, it's something that works. Western Kentucky did it. Now, Zach Kitley has his own tree. There's a couple coordinators out there that come from his system that are finding a lot of success. Ben Arbuckle now took it over to Washington State. I've talked about him before. I, I think it's a it's a winning formula that's been proven over and over again, and I love to see the teams like Old Dominion that need a completely fresh start and a new identity bring these kind of guys and roll the dice. If you miss, you miss. So what? The market has actually favored Old Dominion at home so far. They've knocked the line down through 14. Not insignificant by any stretch here. 
but I think I have to. I think I have to go against that. I think I lean Wake with the points on the road here. Their secondary just kind of outmatches what Old Dominion has a wide receiver. You saw it against Vanderbilt. They were they were pretty good in that uh, respect. They've actually been pretty solid against the pass so far. I know, like you said, one of those games was against Elon, so eh, who knows. But, uh, you know, Vanderbilt still in, in a, mm-hmm. a talented offense that moves the ball, and Wake Forest is still 46 in EPA per pass allowed. Uh, and the Demon Deacons, they keep things in front of them. You can see that in the 46th in EPA, but 89th in pass success rate, which means they're allowing guys to get the ball. They're coming up. They're rounding up, making the tackle. And to me, uh, that's a winning strategy when you have the better athletes, when you're out, you know, outmatching your opponent. So if I had to lean here, I think I will take uh, Wake with the points. We have the Minnesota Golden Gophers. How about this matchup? This, this is a fascinating matchup. At number 20, North Carolina. The Tar Heels are 7.5-point home favorites, and this game has an over-under of 50 Game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And good news, we will actually see a football game play out in its entirety on the Eastern Seaboard this weekend <laughs> after not seeing one of those last week. Uh, I'm so excited to see. It, it really was, but it was a brute. Because then the afternoon window was so backed up with the morning game. So I it, couldn't figure out. So, Brett, I do these watchability, the graphic, right? And I, talk, I write about it for the lines.com, and I, I say, like, hey, in each window – here are the games that I'd prioritize based on competitive, projected competitiveness and project, projected quality. But because all those games got delayed, not only then are you trying to keep track of okay, the, the early window games are now in the afternoon. Some of the afternoons get bled into the evening. Um, shoot, the Purdue Virginia Tech was an early window yeah. game that went into the primetime window. Yeah. But it, it's not just, okay, tracking those games. It's now where are they on the networks? Yeah. I think that Purdue Virginia Tech game changed networks like three or four times because mm-hmm. they were like, keep prioritizing which one's where and all that. So. Gosh, the weather was a was a nightmare for the remote, but hey, we made through it, and it was college football Saturday, so we love it. Yeah, I mean, Kelly, I had nine different games up on my screens. The quad box for YouTube TV is coming great, and I still didn't have enough screens to accompany the afternoon window or the Crazy. evening window. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Uh, back to, back to North Carolina and Minnesota. Tez Walker, uh, we've all heard about it. His eligibility was denied for the season. Uh, real real shame. Real shame on the NCAA there. So he's not going to play. Uh, running back British Brooks missed last week, and he's questionable again for Saturday. But that wasn't much an issue for the Tar Heels. I'd like to introduce you to Omarion Hampton. Kelly had 234 rushing yards and a 40-34 to win over Appalachian State. He is now up to 6.5 yards per attempt on the season. And uh, this isn't your granddaddy's North Carolina team. They are rushing 57% of the time. I'd like to welcome to the stage Chip Lindsey, who is now a run-oriented offensive coordinator. This isn't Phil Longo's offense, but it's working so far. In week one, British Brooks went over 100 yards on the ground against South Carolina. Uh, my concerns, they're coming to fruition. I, I said it in the early season. I said, boy, does this feel like Sam Howell's last season, where his pass-catching weapons depart, they turn run-heavy, and he doesn't quite put up the same numbers. Well, Drake May, 7.8 average depth of target. Two touchdowns, two picks. There's no gaudy numbers going on. His Heisman campaign, I think, is over. Chip Lindsey is not helping him along in that respect. On the other side, looking at Minnesota, uh, they're starting linebacker Cody Lindenberg. He missed both weeks one and two. Uh, TBD on if he plays this week. Right, wide receiver Chris Ottman bell also has not played. He played like one snap in week one, but he's been hurt as well. And uh, the offense has not been great, to say the least. Uh, They played a couple of solid defenses. Nebraska, of course, um, even though they gave up a ton of points in the second half to Colorado, I still think they're playing pretty well. Even Eastern Michigan's is decently underrated. Um, You know, they're they're not a total pushover. They're not great. But, yeah, I I have serious concerns. We talk about Iowa's race to 25 points per game. I'm not sure Minnesota is going to have that uh, ability there. They're 100th in pass EPA, even with some really good transfer-wide receivers. Um, 71st and rush success rate, which is uncharacteristic for an offensive line that's not getting any push. And against North Carolina's defensive line, I've actually been pretty impressed with Tar Heels' defensive front. Uh, but do keep in mind that that sample size is against South Carolina, who is like maybe the worst offensive line, at least if not in the SEC, up there in the Power Five. I, uh, you know, they only generated an eight percent stuff rate and had one one single tackle for loss against App State. And they lost the line yards battle as well. Uh, for Minnesota, the, the 44.7% of rushes have been stopped for two or fewer yards. That's almost half of all of them. Real quick, without looking, I have it in parentheses here, without looking at this, give me a quick over-under on how many times you think uh, North Car- or, I'm sorry, Minnesota rushed the football against Eastern Michigan. Just in the ballpark. Uh, yeah, 40. 
Let's go 55. That is how many times they ran the football against Eastern wow. Michigan last week. It, 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 they have an identity. They want to establish it, but the offensive line is not getting it done. So that's why I think we can expect on Saturday once again. But what do your numbers suss out about this game? That's a, that's a lot of rushes. That's wow. a lot of um, rushes. That's amazing. Um, so I'm going to start with North Carolina here because I think their trend is pretty interesting. And I've loved tracking the conference championship game projections week over week. And I post that on the website. People seem to enjoy that, but I do too. Um, a week ago, my numbers gave North Carolina a 27% chance to make the ACC championship game. That was second best in the conference behind only Florida State. Then the Mountaineers from App State came to Chapel Hill and nearly pulled off a big upset. This is two years in a row. This has been a really, really good game. Well, uh, Mac Brown said Mac Brown said he's never scheduling them again, and he wishes I, all the other North Carolina schools luck in scheduling these guys. I, I'm telling you, it's something about <laughs> this North Carolina Virginia area where the, you you play these G5s or these FCS teams from from those, that area. They are tough, and I have no idea what it is. Yeah. I can't quantify it, but that's just the reality. Um, North Carolina's power rating fell two points uh, from number 21 to number 26. And the Tar Heels have now just a 13% chance to make it to Charlotte. That's the fifth best odds behind now Florida State, Louisville, Miami, and Syracuse. How about Syracuse in that top four for me right now? Had a great year so far. Um, the regular season win total projection is still up, though, for North Carolina. Uh, from 8.1 in the preseason to 8.4 currently, that's due to the 2-0 start and what's pretty a pretty good winning at South Carolina to open the year at a neutral site. Um, the numbers have UNC minus 7 in this one with a 69% win expectancy. This offense is still a top 20 unit for me, uh, and the defense is currently in the low 50s. On the other side, through no fault of the defense, which has been projecting and performing like a top 10 unit every single week, I still have Minnesota number nine on defense. Minnesota's down more than two points in the ratings and more than 10 spots in the rankings compared to the preseason. The offense has been the problem, as you touched on there. They've fallen from number 52 to number 79. Um, so I see this game as strength versus strength. Minnesota's top 10 defense is traveling to Chapel Hill to take on UNC's top 20 offense. It's worth noting that North Carolina travels to Pitt next week for their first true road game of the year and their ACC conference opener. Um, given the close call we had last week against App State, though, I don't think the Tar Heels are going to be looking ahead to that Pitt game. Uh, but Minnesota can and will win this game if they are. So North Carolina absolutely needs to be on their game and focused on the Golden Gophers. Bottom line, I have North Carolina minus seven with a 31% chance for Minnesota to pull off the upset on the road. You had me there when you said Minnesota can and will before you said if they are. I was like, wow, Kelly, we're taking a stand here, calling our shot with the with the upset on the road here. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> My aggregated power ratings, they only favor North Carolina by three and a half. But I have a hard time backing Minnesota with this offensive scheme. I just, I can't, I can't bet on a team to go into Chapel Hill and, and win the game with the way that they're playing football right now. And again, maybe it's a product of having played Nebraska and maybe it's a product of a run heavy game against the Mac. But I don't know, man, this kind of seems like what, what we're getting from the Gophers this year. Uh, this was a game I also wanted to bet the uh, under. The total came in a little bit uh, lower than expected. Really, anything at or over 51 points would have been an instant under bet for me. Uh, 51 is a key number there. You know, I still kind of like it under 50. I, I don't think it's going to get to 51 because I'm also seeing 49 and a halfs. And again, because 51 is such a key figure, I, it's going to take a lot to move it up to that. But yeah, I, I think if I have a play in this game, it's, it's going to be under uh, the point total here. Moving forward, this is a good one. A good, hard, nasty SEC rivalry. Number 11, Tennessee. A six-and-a-half point favorite on the road at the Florida Gators. This one carries an over-under 58-and-a-half points. Kicks off at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. I believe this is where... No, college, no, college game day is going to be in Boulder. They passed yeah. on this one. Okay, yeah. sure, if they say so. Um, there is a rain potential here for this game as well, between 20 and 40% during the game. Uh, we'll see. Again, that can change. Uh, may not rain a drop. May get a downpour. Who knows? For Tennessee, they're starting offensive center, Cody Mays. He missed last week. Uh, their starting linebacker, Kawaze Garland, is out for the season as well. That's a new development. So a couple of big injuries there for Tennessee, uh, at least for Mays to, to monitor to see if he's going to play or not. Losing your center, uh, that's the captain of your offensive line. That, that's a big deal if he's not playing. On Florida's side, they're either super honest or they're the most beat-up team in the country. I'm not sure which it is. They have eight guys listed as questionable for Saturday and three additional guys that are done for the year. 
either their strength and conditioning coaches need to step it up or be replaced, or they need to quit reporting every time somebody comes to the sideline for some ice on his hand, because that seems <laughs> what Florida is doing at this point. Uh, Tennessee has not exactly faced a murderer's row of defenses in Virginia and Austin P. Uh, but Joe Milton doing the exact opposite of what I expected him to do. Low yards per attempt, low A dot. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, his Heisman campaign's over. And that sucks because I had a Heisman I had a Heisman flyer on Joe Milton. He's not gonna do it. I uh, I still don't <laughs> I, I still don't really know a lot about Tennessee given their opponents. I mean, f- for all intents and purposes, that Austin P game was a massive disappointment. I I know there was a lot of rain in Rocky Top. I know it was kind of a weird game and um I don't know if that one got delayed or not. It may have. But uh yeah, not not the best showing from the Vols in that game there. Um, they have a high rushing success rate right now, but again, we're talking about the third worst rushing defense in the entirety of the FBS and Austin P who's not exactly in my top five FCS ratings. Um, Florida faring better than I thought I was ready to call them DOA. Uh, but again, we'll, I think we'll find out a little bit more because they had one not so great performance from Graham Mertz against Utah. Although I thought he was fine. He wasn't great, but, uh, he was fine. Missed a couple of throws, of course, you know. Typical Graham Mertz stuff. And then they played uh, McNeese, so I, I don't think we learned a lot from that. But, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to know what your numbers say about this because there's a lot of question marks, I think, for these two SEC East rivals. There are. And before I get to the game, Brett, I don't usually wade into the Heisman waters, but I do just want to say I, I understand what you're saying. He hasn't had a great start to the year. Tennessee, for as long as they are in SEC championship game contention, their quarterback, because of what this offense has the potential to be, will be in the Heisman trophy conversation I'm not saying he's going to win it but as long as they're staying contention for the east which my numbers are projecting that they will for a good long time he's got to be at least on the periphery of that conversation I know he hasn't played up to the level that we expected or that you were hoping but just keep that in the back of your mind I wouldn't call it dead just yet we haven't seen the L's pile up and uh historically if you're a quarterback <laughs> of a team at the top you're going to be at least in the conversation with a good chance to make it to New York um this is my number two game of the week per my watchability score. So I wrote about this one for the lines.com. The I have Tennessee minus four and a half with a 62% win expectancy. Even though Tennessee didn't look great last week against FCS McNeese, and uh, they're down a point in my ratings and five spots in my rankings from the preseason, I still have the Volunteers as the biggest threat to George in the East, which is why I think Milton is still in that Heisman conversation, at least for now. The offense is still top 10 nationally, so there you go, another point for Milton. And the defense has actually been better than I expected, rising from number 35 to number 29 in my national unit ranks. While Tennessee is my number two projected team in the East, Florida is number three. And a win for the Gators this week would flip those numbers right around and make Florida the the biggest contender uh, to challenge Georgia in terms of chances to make it to Atlanta. The model's been pretty dialed in on the Gators. They have fallen just a half a point from number 25 to number 31, while the offense has remained in the 20s and the defense has remained in the 40s. Uh, I'm projecting a wash, basically, between the number 29 Florida offense and the number 29 Tennessee defense. The difference for me in this one is that it's the number 8 Tennessee offense against the number 44 Florida defense. That said, and I can't overemphasize this enough, the Volunteers have lost nine in a row in the Swamp, since their last win in Gainesville back in 2003. And I do expect the Gator faithful in the stands to be out in full force to ensure that this volunteer team doesn't forget that. So I'm just putting that out there, going on the roads, one of the hardest things to do in college football and to get a wins even harder. You're doing to a place you haven't won in 20 years. Bottom line, the numbers like Tennessee minus four and a half, but there's a 38% chance that Florida pulls off the upset at home and keeps that streak alive. I know when it comes to the betting market and I know when it comes to power ratings, we don't always take those factors into account, but it's it's naive to think that the Tennessee Vols don't realize that they haven't won in Florida in 20 years. I mean, and some of the kids on the roster weren't even born, Brett, the yeah, last time. A that lot they, of them haven't. Yeah, yeah. That, the last time Tennessee won at Florida. Seriously, and, and that is a, a real thing that, that should be taken into to handicap. Now, that is a trend that I believe does play into how I would see this game. Now, the whole... Uh, Tennessee hasn't won uh, on the road when the temperature is between X and Y at certain time of day on certain network. That is not an actionable trend. But saying, hey, they just go into Gainesville and lose. Uh, yeah, you can say, well, they're different teams. But, dude, 20 years. They've had all sorts of teams. Both of these guys have had all sorts of teams over 20 years. So I think that's a very important note. I think that's a great note. 
Uh, and bait, the, the market agrees. Uh, the lines moved in favor of Florida through seven. Very notable movement there, of course. I'm interested to see what it does in the late week uh, because I think that's more telltale than early in the week when you have lower limits. Once those high limits come in, again, I, I said on the last uh, last episode, but sometimes pros will artificially bet down lines with low limits early in the week so that they can come back with a more favorable line and bet it with higher limits. Uh, it's called a head fake. I don't know if that's happening here uh, because, again, your your numbers favor uh, Florida a bit on the market. And that streak of, of you know, 2003, I think I was in the third grade at that point. Uh, <laughs> that is the last time that they had won in Gainesville. So not not to um, not to put an age on myself here. But uh, if I had to lean in this game, I think I'd actually lean under 59 despite both teams running a blistering pace. Tennessee, uh, third fastest, 18.9 seconds per play. No surprise there. Florida, ninth with 21 and a half seconds. That's a bigger surprise to me. I'm moving pretty quickly. I just don't love either way offense. Either offense is, is running right now. And to expect Tennessee's, you said, eighth best offense to go, to go into Gainesville and perform that way, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more bearish on the ability for them to do that than if they were at home. So if I had a lean here, I think it'd be under 59. Uh, 59 is a key number. If you can get it there, but probably under. Another huge uh, conference matchup here. We have James Madison at Troy. Troy is a field goal favorite. It has an over-under of 47.5 points. So in ga- uh, this game kicks off at 7 p.m. Eastern on NFL Network. They've actually been putting some interesting matchups there. Kind of the uh-huh. uh, the what, Island of Misfit Toys, I think, is what they're putting on NFL Network so far. <laughs> but this is actually a, like a pretty darn good game. Uh, James Madison just secured a big win over a state school. That's always good to see. Uh, like you mentioned, can continue along the, the trends that you're, you've been talking about all episode. Uh, they're getting it done on the ground, but it was also against one of the worst rush defenses in the country last week. So eh, we'll, we'll see if they can repeat that. Uh, they may continue, though, to find success against Troy, who's 85th in rushing success rate allowed. And this isn't against the best rushing teams in the country. One was against SF Austin. Uh, and the other one was Kansas State. So, you know, they're, they're a bit outmatched up there. I'm worried about the Trojans' defense. Uh, they gave up 30 points to SF Austin. I, I have to imagine that that is unacceptable among the coaching and playing ranks there. Uh, SF Austin is a good FCS team, but they're not a burning FCS team, uh, unless they've seriously, seriously improved uh, offensively from what I've seen. Uh, and then they gave up a more expected 48 points to Kansas State. Can't really fault them there, but, uh, yeah, I... Uh, toss up to me. Uh, what do you What do you think? Yeah, the Sun Belt might be my favorite conference race to track currently, Brett. In the East, Coastal Carolina, App State, and Marshall are all within two percentage points of each other to win the division. I, I've got Coastal at twenty eight, App State at twenty seven, Marshall at twenty six. Um, James Madison team in this game would be right there as well if the Dukes were eligible for the championship game. They are not eligible as they continue their transition period from FCS to FBS. Uh, In the West, so that's the East. In the West, I have Troy in this game, 37% chance to to win the West, and South Alabama with a 30% chance to win the division. Texas State's rising too. I know it's a team you've talked about. They're up to to 15%. um, So they are now the number three contender in the West for me. So both of these division races, especially the East, just very, very close. Drilling down on James Madison and Troy, I actually don't project either of these teams to be bigger than a field goal underdog in any of their remaining games this year. So when we a lot of times are favored or underdogs in very close games, should come as no surprise then that I have this game as a pick with a very, very slight lean towards Troy. It's a 51% win expectancy. Troy has fallen three and a half points in my ratings since the start of the season, and they're down uh, from number 63 to number 79. So I haven't Loved what I've seen from Troy just yet. Uh, again, Stephen F. Austin, Kansas State, they're going to get a better test for their level here as we start moving forward, including this week. Uh, the offense been exactly what I expected, but the defense has been much worse than I anticipated. They've fallen from number 32 to number 56. So I've uh, been underwhelmed by the defense while the offense has held up their end of the bargain. Um, it's still the best defense in the West, though, and it's the second best defense in the conference by my numbers behind only Marshall. Uh, James Madison off to a 2-0 and start, wins against FCS Bucknell and on the road at Virginia, as you mentioned. Don't need to talk about that one anymore. Stop scheduling these teams. Virginia, w- Wake Forest, Old Dominion, just, just stop scheduling them. Don't, don't do it. Their power rating and ranking both remain unchanged from the preseason, meaning this team has performed exactly as the model thought it would, at least to this point in the year. This game should be strength for strength. Number 59, Troy offense against number 56, JMU defense. The fact that this game is at Troy is what makes the difference for me. Bottom line, I have it as a pick 51% win expectancy for Troy. 
You talked about that defense falling. Uh, I think that's a result of losing their coordinator, Shield Wood. He's now at uh, Tulane, and Tulane's defense is, is looking pretty good. Don't let that 37 points that they allowed to Ole Miss fool you. Seven of those came on defense, and it was a very tightly contested game. So I think if we're looking for a, a reason to point toward the regression defensively, uh, that's probably why I'm leaning there. But I, I'm interested to know, because I, I love hearing about how your championship odds change, or, or their uh, – uh, uh, yeah, the, the – Odds to get make the championship. I could have said that so much more eloquently, but I'd like to know what happens to Troy's Sun Belt championship odds should they win or lose this game. Obviously, James Madison's still ineligible, so yeah, I knew what you meant, and I like doing it too. It's kind of these leverage games, you know, within the conference. What does it do to your chances to win your division and or if you don't have divisions, make the conference championship game? If Troy wins, all else equal, because when I always say all else equal because. Things are going to change with the power ratings. They're going to change with your own team, and they're going to change with your opponents. And that's what's going to inform your chances to to achieve these things. But we can't know what those things are. So all else equal, Troy's chances to make the Sun Belt Championship game increases from 37%, which is current, to 46%. So it's a nice little bump by beating a James Madison team that, again, it's a pick em game. If the Trojans lose, their chances decrease from 37% to 26%. So, I mean, this is a significant swing game, if you will, for Troy, it's not as it's not as significant as it would be if they were playing South Alabama because they're in the same division, uh, and then the Sun Belt still has divisions. But still, for a non-divisional game within the conference, pretty big swing, and that's because these teams are so evenly matched. The model is basically saying, "Hey, you're getting a half game projected win right now and a half game projected loss. You're so you're going to pick up a half game either direction. That's why you get such a big swing in this one." Chances. That's the word I was looking for. The English language is very difficult, especially with really complicated words like chances. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, I also make this one around to pick them. Uh, so I probably lean, if you're looking uh, to bet either team, probably just, just money line it. Uh, I, I wouldn't take one point uh, either way. Zero is a dead number. So if you're interested in action on this one, uh, the line appears to be in favor of uh, Troy pretty consistently. So uh, they, they bought back to three. Um, I'm interested to see if that's a high watermark, if it moves back in James Madison's favor or if uh, the market just really is on Troy in this game. Okay, Kelly, this is Sicko's game of the week, maybe. Uh, it, not usually do two Power 5 opponents playing each other, you know, be able to be the Sicko's game of the week, but I don't know about this one, man. We got Syracuse, a two-and-a-half point favorite on the road at Purdue. This game has an over-under of 58-and-a-half points, kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC and Peacock. I love that we're running this weird matchup back up again. And this time, it's in West Lafayette. Uh, I would like to welcome back to the stage the, 2020, uh, the 2022 Syracuse Orange. Uh, Steven Andrus, our managing editor, and I talked about this one. Uh, he's a big Syracuse fan, uh, Syracuse alum. And, and we talked about how when they were 6-0, and we were so excited to start fading them. I am so excited to start fading Syracuse when they're 6-2 and past their bye week here. On the Purdue side, though. The Hudson Card and Graham Harrell offense been working pretty well. They're 33rd in pass EPA. Uh, they're throwing the ball downfield, which is great to see. Hudson Card, I think he's a really nice get in the portal. Uh, very talented quarterback who's able to kind of step in and fill for, well, everything that departed uh, at Purdue this past offseason. The run game has been an issue, though. They're 101st in rushing success rate, but defensively against the run, they've been really good. Uh, against Virginia Tech, who's not great, they held them to count 11 rush yards total in that game uh which like you mentioned earlier was like a, i think they said they had until midnight to finish this game out and it was it ended up going on for like i don't know eight or nine hours or whatever um but the boilermakers have just been getting absolutely mashed through the air they gave up 370 yards through the air to fresno state 275 to grant wells of virginia tech I think uh, my local varsity high school team wouldn't allow 275 yards through the air to Grant Wells of Virginia Tech at this stage right now. Uh, yeah, Syracuse, though, they've been looking really good. Like you said, pretty outstanding so far this year, but it's been against bad opponents. Colgate, Western, uh, Western Michigan, one of the worst FBS teams in the country here, but they've been super efficient through the air. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really know much about this team. They're not running a lot of tempo. They haven't really needed it. 10.2 yards per attempt, though, for Garrett Schrader. Pretty good. Um, and I think they'll be able to continue to find success through the air on Saturday. I'll take that uh, local varsity defense, Brett, but only if you're coaching them up. I only want you as the DC. That's the only way I'm doing it. <laughs> the uh, the Big Ten primetime game on NBC, as you mentioned. 
I'll be writing about this one for the lines.com this week, as I do every week talking about the Big Ten primetime game on NBC. Even though I'm a Purdue grad, this game is all about Syracuse for me. I have Syracuse minus eight and a half with wow. a 72% win expectancy. I get what you're saying, and I know what they did in 2022. Bear with me here. Blowout wins against FCS Colgate and Western Michigan. The Orange's power rating is now up 7.8 points from the preseason. It's the third biggest upgrade behind only Colorado and Florida State nationally from preseason to current. Yeah. Their ranking has improved from number 48 to number 22. Their line, projected line against Clemson now in week five, down to a pick'em. And they're at home. But can you imagine? Like, yeah, can you imagine? I'd have to go back and check to see what the preseason projected spread was for that game, um, which actually I can do and I will uh, after I get through this. But it's now down to a pickup. Like that just goes to show, yes, Clemson has fallen, but that goes to show how much better the model is viewing Syracuse now than they than it was at the beginning of the year. Syracuse is outscoring its opponents by 11.9 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 team against their schedule. That's number 10 nationally. Projected regular season wins has improved from 6.7 to 8.6. They went from a 55% chance to win seven plus games to a 56% chance to win nine plus games. All of that said, this is the first time Syracuse has gone on the road this year, and it's a night game in Ross Aid. It's not the most intimidating uh, stadium in the country. I've been in there many times, but at night, behind a team that they're still excited about, it can be, and, and first year head coach, they're going to want to support all that. It can be a difficult place to play. For Purdue, the Boilermakers' power rating is down more than a point and a half since the preseason, with the offense falling six spots, the defense falling 12 spots. The Boilers went from a 39% chance to go bowling in the preseason to now I make it a 24% chance. This game would be huge if Purdue's able to get it. Syracuse should have the advantage on both sides of the ball, though, and I do think the Orange are going to get it done on the road. Bottom line, I have Syracuse minus 8.5 with a 28% chance for Purdue to pull off the upset at home. Let me come back uh, in a second here to get you what the preseason spread was on uh, Syracuse-Clemson. I'll tell you what, Kelly, I'm very excited to hear that they are so upgrading your power ratings because if that's the case, then the market's probably going to upgrade them as well. And I will stand by on principle alone. If nothing else, I have my word that I will fade the Syracuse Orange team. The first, if, if you give me a pick em with Clemson, I will, plus, I'll take the Tigers. It was plus 12 and a half in the oh preseason. It's now, it's now down to a pick em between the combined movement of Syracuse and Clemson in the power ratings, it's been a 12 and a half point swing in just a few weeks. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, playing at Syracuse, thinks the JMA Wireless Dome, now it's called, I, instead of the carry, I, I just, I don't Clemson know. Clemson lost I, the game there in 2017, they, they maybe did, something like that. They did, but as a big favorite that had high expectations to roll in Syracuse, those are sure. the kind of games that Syracuse bites guy. They, I don't know, man. If, you, if you're giving me under a, a touchdown with Clemson, we'll revisit that. I'll put let's it see. On we got we got we got three sure. we got three more weeks. Let's see what it looks like. Yeah, no, I'll, that will definitely be on our on our show when we get to it. Um, I'm interested to see what the odds makers line Schrader for with this passing yards. That's something that I'm probably looking to bet over if it comes in at or under two thirty. Um, don't know if we're gonna get that, but it's on the road, so maybe. And to be quite honest. Opening marks for uh, uh, props are oftentimes just flat out wrong. Uh, that Roman Hemby play that I gave out on our last episode of 68 and a half, uh, we're already up to 75, less than four, less than 36 hours after they posted it. So, uh, yeah, maybe we'll get a 230 there. Um, of course, playing on the road, outdoors, it's a tougher spot than throwing the ball around in a dome. Uh, Purdue's pass defense hasn't been great, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as Western's or Colgate's. Uh, the weather should be good, though, so it should be favorable for some offense here. Um, like you said, West Lafayette at night, it's a weird place to play. We've seen Ohio State go down on the road there. Uh, it's a place teams go to die. It's just one of those places. Um, I, I do believe it's a difficult place, but, Kelly, you're, you're the resident expert in that regard, so I'll take your word over mine, of course. Well, um, I was I was there for in, in school from the seasons 2011 to 2014, those were not good Purdue years. So, like, my experience as a student, Daryl Hazel years, like, it, it was bad, right? So, um, take that with a grain of salt. It's gotten better since I left. And with a new coach, again, I think the students and, and, and the fans will, will be excited and still want to support um, because this is, this is a big game. If you can get this one, you're 2-1 and one going into conference play. People are still excited. Yeah, I mean, to digress for, for just two more seconds, uh, the 2015 season is when I started at Bowling Green, and we went into West Lafayette and uh, beat you guys. No worry about that. <laughs> it was, dude, it was bad for Purdue in the early 2010s. I'm telling you, it was bad. 
like yeah, historically. E- either way, numbers say Syracuse is the right side here. Uh, I think I have a little bit of a hard time laying points with a team that I don't know much about, especially a team like Syracuse in this weird spot. The game last year was all sorts of weird too. So I think I'm probably hands off the spread, um, but the numbers are strongly saying bet Syracuse. So take that for, for what you may there. I'm excited about this one. We have Pitt at West Virginia. It's a backyard brawl, nasty rivalry for those watching us. I have my towel from last year's event that I was at in Pittsburgh right above my shoulder here. Uh, Pittsburgh is a one-point favorite on the road in Morgantown. Has an over-under 50 points. Game kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Uh, that game that I was at, they Pitt won at home with a late pick six. Uh, I was impressed with Heinz Field or Akersher, whatever they're calling it these days. Uh, it was a great game, a great atmosphere, but now they hit the road. Uh, West Virginia's quarterback, Garrett Green. I said all offseason, don't know much about this guy. Turns out he's actually not bad. Zero turnover-worthy throws so far. Almost 12 average depth of target, both pretty good. A uh, good mix of aggression down the field, but also taking care of the football. And even against Penn State, who is one of the better defenses and defensive secondaries, zero turnover-worthy throws so far. But he's also got a sub-60% completion, so a little bit of a gunslinger mentality there for Garrett Green. Defense is the issue for West Virginia so far. Penn State moved the ball at will when they wanted to. You saw it at the end of the game when uh, West Virginia got the two-point conversion and and James Franklin said, oh, no, you don't, and marched the ball downfield with the backups and scored quite easily. Uh, Pitt is coming off a disappointing performance last week uh, on the CW, if you were looking for that game and couldn't find it, because... It was, yeah, on CW, completely forgot they were putting games on that channel. Uh, it was against Cincinnati at home, and they lost. Could have been a prime look-ahead spot there. I actually outlined that in my weekly upsets article at thelines.com, which, by the way, two outright upsets of the four picks last week and 4-0 against the spread. So, hey, if you're looking for some maybe some upsets to throw nice. a little bit of pizza money on, we're on a little bit of a heater over there. Uh, Pitt's offensive line just did not get a push against Cincinnati at all. And I know that they have Dante Corleone and a pretty good defensive front, but I expect a little bit more from the Panthers in that regard. 46% of their runs that game were stuffed at two or fewer yards. Uh, Pat Narduzzi, he's back, baby. The offense strikes again. Phil Dragovic has just been awful. Sub-50% completion. Nah, the team's 92nd in pass EPA, 111th in passing success rate. Just gross. Just awful. Uh, Pat Narduzzi setting football back 150 years in Pittsburgh. Um, but they can get back on track against this West Virginia secondary if he so chooses to throw. The backyard brawl, Brett. You said it. I love this game. I will never forget 2007. Number two, West Virginia, Pat White, Steve Slayton. Chance to book their place in the BCS National Championship game. All they had to do was beat 4-7 and seven Pitt at home. They fall 13-9. Final dagger from the curse of the number two that year. So many number twos go down. I believe the number one team went down that week as well, actually. I think it was Missouri. They lost to Oklahoma yeah. in the in the uh, Big 12 championship game or, or just in a Big 12 game. Um, so, yeah, like that year was crazy. This game is crazy. I love this game. And I project it to be a close one this year. My numbers have Pitt minus one and a half, 54% win expectancy. Pitt came into the year with a 6.7 power rating and ranked number 37. Panthers are now power rated 6.5 and ranked number 38. Virtually unchanged on both fronts. West Virginia is in a similar boat. They started the year with a 1.9 rating and number 55 national ranking. Their K-Ford rating has actually improved slightly uh, to 2.6. Their corresponding ranking has fallen to number 58. So important reminder here, I'm going to say it probably once a week, rating is more important than ranking. So Mountaineers fans, if you're going to be you know excited or upset, you should be slightly pleased, if anything, following the one-in-one start to the year. West Virginia has the best unit on the field in this game. They're number 41 offense by my numbers. Uh, That matches up well with the Pitt defense that I have number 46. The difference for me in this game is the West Virginia defense. They're the worst on the field. Ranked number 83, having to go up against that Pitt offense that I have number 43. Yes, it's in Morgantown. Yes, it's a huge rivalry game. I'm giving the slight edge to the Panthers here with the numbers. But again, it's basically a toss-up. It's a rivalry game. It's on the road. Anything can happen. Bottom line, I have Pitt minus one and a half, 46% chance for West Virginia to get the win at home. It won't make up for 2007, but it's always good to beat your rival. Yeah, I, I, I'm right in step with you there. Uh, my numbers favor Pitt by about two. Uh, I'd probably lean more of a live opportunity to bet them, though, since you're not really getting a great number and zero is just a truly dead number in that case. Um, I don't hate finding an alternate line. Minus six and a half. Maybe something, get a little bit of juice behind it. 
A um, couple of reasons for that. One, West Virginia fans are going to be up for this game. Uh, it's a nasty, personal rivalry. People say some mean things to me. Things I have not ever heard at a college football game. And Kelly, I've been to a lot of them uh, all around the country. They say some nasty stuff to each other. Um, yeah, but you know what? They're just not backing the coach right now. They, they're, they're done with Neil Brown. They've been done with Neil Brown since when I went against Baylor like week five or six last year. It was in October last year, and they were already done with him. Um, I feel like the end is near for Neil Brown. Uh, he looked not competitive against Penn State. This is a program that the numbers can say it, the pit's favored by two, but the reason I take an alternate line because I think that West Virginia – the way that their coaching staff is right now and, and the regression that they've made coming into this year, maybe not by your numbers, but in the, offensively, this is a prime team to quit on their on their coaching staff. And if they're going to quit on their coaching staff, it's against a team that does not like them, that will not take them lightly, that will want to walk into Morgantown and beat them by 40. I'm not saying that Pitt can or will do that, but if you're looking for an opportunity to bet an, an alternate line, I know the numbers don't exactly say it, but that's probably where I'm leaning, if anything, pregame just because I do think that the, the collapse, it's a fragile ecosystem in Morgantown right now. And I've said it, their bye week's coming up after they play TCU in a few weeks here. Uh, I think that's probably the end of the road for Neil Brown if he doesn't completely turn this team around overnight. So give me an alternate line on that one. Six and a half, if you want to go higher, nine and a half if you're getting crazy. Anything below, uh, just a half tick below that key figure. There's only one game all year, Brett, moving forward that my numbers favor West Virginia by more than a field goal. Only one game. That would be week 10 by five at home to BYU. Other than that, you're a field goal or less favorite or an underdog. Um, Projected win total is uh, five. Not great. (laughs) Not great. All right. The last FBS game that we have on this show here today before we do one traditional FCS game. uh, We have the TCU Horn Frogs, a seven and a half point favorite on the road at Houston. This is, in fact, a Big 12 conference matchup. It's the Opening to the Big 12 season for TCU. Game carries an over-under of 64.5 points. They're expecting some offensive fireworks here uh, at TDCE, or TDECU Stadium. Pardon me. I always transpose those. Kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox. My biggest question is, which Houston team are we going to get? Perhaps the one that gave mm-hmm. up 14 points against UTSA? Although, in retrospect, maybe not a great UTSA offense. Or at least a UTSA offense that's broken. We talked about that one recently. Or are they going to be the one that gave up 28 first quarter points to Rice? I don't know. I don't know that anybody knows. The right side of the offensive line for Houston is a massive issue. 42% of all the pressures that have come on Donovan Smith this year have been from the right guard and the right tackle. Zero pressures have come from the left side. So uh, coaching staffs know that. They're going to be attacking that side, of course. Um, But Donovan Smith, he's not really helping his guys. He is the 12th most quarterback-attributed pressures allowed, according to PFF. And what that means is he's holding on to the ball too long. He's stepping up into pressure, et cetera, maybe bailing on the pocket a little bit earlier than he needs to. But he's not helping his offensive line out, and his offensive line isn't helping him out, at least on the right side there. Dana Holgerson, he's calling the offensive plays. He assumed the uh, position as as the offensive player caller this offseason. They're 22 seconds per play. the 13th fastest pace in the country. So they're at least moving along, but... They're not not a lot to show from it. They have nine plays of 20 or more yards so far this season. That's tied with a myriad of teams for 68th in the country. So they're not very explosive, but they're running a lot of plays. Anyway, TCU's defense just looked downright confused against Colorado. Uh, I don't think they were prepared. They need better preparation and play calling from both coordinators. I thought that was the single worst performance from coordinators I saw in all of week one and all of week two. Uh, Bryles, terrible, just awful start. And he's already a, a controversial hire for TCU in the first place. And he comes out and lays an egg like that. I don't know. And, and Gillespie on the other side looks really lost as well. So hopefully a little bit. They actually watched some tape this year uh, for this week or something. But Houston secondary, their problem. They allowed three wide receivers to get 70 or more yards against Rice. And they gave up 400 total passing yards to Mr. Journeyman JT Daniels. Uh, so TCU should be able to move the football, at least, if they're prepared. But, um, yeah, what what do you make of this game? I agree with a lot of that. I have TCU minus six, 66% win expectancy, um, and a game in which both teams really need to win. You touched on it. TCU lost on the national stage to Colorado in week one before coming back strongly against FCS Nichols last week. Houston started well with a win against Texas rival UTSA before getting shocked in overtime on the road at Rice last week. So, 
TCU's down 14 spots in my rankings to number 34, and it's almost entirely because this defense has been way worse than I expected, falling from number 37 to number 73 nationally. The season win total projection is down from 7.9 to 6.0. With a loss this week, it brings bowl eligibility seriously into question. I mean, that seems unfathomable for a team that was one win away from a national championship nine months ago, but such is life in the fast-paced, ever-changing college football landscape of 2023, I suppose. Houston is down five spots to number 66. They now have a negative 0.5 power rating, which means the Cougars are a half point worse than the average FBS team. That's worse than the Big 12. This game should be all about the offenses. As you said, TCU boasting a top 25 unit, Houston being top 40 still for me. The difference to me in this game is Houston's defense, which checks in at a horrid number 114 nationally. I mean, that that's really, really bad when you're a power five team. I know it's our first year in the Big 12. I know it's your first year. But you're in Texas. Like, I don't, if you even when you were in the American, you should have been recruiting at a baseline level of almost average FBS in Texas. Like coming to Houston, now they have no excuses. They're in the Power Five. They're in the Big Twelve. It's TCU's first road game of the year, and they do have SMU up next in the Sunny Dykes Bowl. I just don't see this Houston defense getting enough stops though to win this one. So TCU potentially a look ahead. You're on the road for the first time. I just don't see it, though. Uh, bottom line, TCU minus six, 34% chance for Houston to pull off the upset win at home. To touch back on on talent and recruiting stuff like that, Houston is 49th uh, in the FBS in terms of team composite talent. Again, it comes down to scheme and it comes down to coaching, uh, and they're just not getting it. I, I, I don't know what happened between the 2021 Houston team and these modern Houston teams. I know they have had turnover. I know they've had a lot of good DBs that are playing really well in the NFL right now, but, like, come on, guys. What are we doing? You can't can't do any better in 114th. Ah, anyway, uh, I had him number I had him, I had him number 35 in the power ratings in 2021. This is a team that was number 31 in 2015, 33 in 2016. Yeah. I know it's a long time ago now. I know it's different coaching regimes. I know it's different conferences, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, they've fallen from the mid 30s as recently as 2021 to where they are now at number 66. TCU running back, Imani Bailey. He has the fourth most yards after contact on average among guys that have carried the ball at least 20 times. 5.4 yards per clip. He's getting hit and moving sticks another five yards. And Houston is the 25th worst tackling team according to PFF's grades. Now, I'm probably going to look over yards in the game if I can get something around 50 or under for Imani Bailey. Um, That's definitely a play for me. I don't know if they're going to be able to take him down. Um, You know, the total is kind of tough. Even for these fast-paced teams, I think TCU's defense is a lot better than what they showed against Colorado. And uh, Houston definitely doesn't have the same guys as Colorado has. They don't have a Travis Hunter. They don't have Xavier Weaver and and Jimmy Horn and Shadur Sanders and Dylan Edwards and all those guys. Um, So I'd probably hit under 28 as a team total for Houston if you can find it, if it gets there. Uh, Not 27 and a half, though. I I think that's that's, uh, playing with fire a little bit. 27 and a half is all I could find as of time recording. But if it does touch on that 28, I'm probably betting under the team total for Houston. And I'm also looking to bet over the prop, uh, the rushing yards prop for Imani Bailey, again, depending if it comes around 50. But to close us out real quick, don't think for a second we were going to hang up without talking about the FCS. I'm bringing out a good New England game. Maybe it's even a rivalry, a regional rivalry at the very least. We have Holy Cross at Yale. The Ivy League is getting their season kicked off this week. They're a little late to the party. Uh, Two FCS notes, though, before we get underway. I do want to shout out New Hampshire running back Dylan Lobb. 295 receiving yards, Kelly. Receiving yards. He's a running back against uh, Central Michigan. New Hampshire almost pulled the the upset off there. Uh, They needed a field goal as time expired to win. Also, Montana State, South Dakota State did not disappoint. What a great game. I loved every second of it. That was on my screen uh, despite the loaded evening window last week. Anyway, uh, Holy Cross at Yale. Kicks off at noon Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Um, I make this game Holy Cross minus one, like thereabouts, like 0.9, something in that area. Um, the Crusaders, though, they actually outplayed Boston College. They probably should have won that game. I think they had like a 64% postgame, 62% postgame win expectancy, pardon me. Um, we had some rooting interest in the Lions Discord. If you're looking for some fun, we were talking Holy Cross football all Saturday long because this game lasts for about five hours, too. It had a huge rain delay with like 30 seconds left. Uh, Holy Cross nearly had at the end. Guy stepped out of bounds um, through multiple rain delays. 
Anyway, but Yale starting off first game of the season. That's a big deal. They're uh, my 26th ranked FCS team according to aggregated power ratings. Holy Cross is 18, so we're dealing with some pretty, pretty good teams here. I'd play, I'd play either side at plus three or better, um, but you got to be quick because these lines move, and they move fast. I have Holy Cross number 12 in my FCS light power ratings, Yale number 22, so I make it Holy Cross minus two in this one on the road at Yale. But, Brett, I got to say, you know I work at the Horizon League. You know we don't sponsor football in the Horizon League, but we do have two members that do sponsor football. You know who those two are? Top of your head? I do not, know. Robert Morris outside Pittsburgh and Youngstown State there in Youngstown, ah, Ohio. Yeah. They're playing each other this weekend, man. How did we not get our... Oh, it's my no. bad. I should, I should have told you. They're playing each other. It should have been our FCS game of the week. You picked a much better one. Uh, my numbers... I, I looked it up. My numbers have Robert Morris... Number 115 in the FCS light, Youngstown State number 14. Youngstown State is at home in this one. A couple colleagues who are going to be going to the game. Minus 33 and a half is what my numbers would make this one for the Penguins of Youngstown State. So I couldn't not talk Robert Morris, Youngstown State, when those are the two teams in the Horizon League that sponsor football. Of course, they play uh, Youngstown State's in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, and Robert Morris is in the OVC Big South Merger uh, Conference in football. Yeah, I'm a little bit more, uh, I think, maybe more bullish on Robert Morris because I'm making this one about 24 and a half. Uh, but okay. anyway, the way that the FCS lines work, they could open this up minus 13. Uh, you, you just don't know. True. So True. make sure that you are setting an alarm for like 9.45 a.m. Eastern on FanDuel and uh, and Bet Rivers and, and refreshing as fast as you can to hit those lines because these pros out there, they, they hit them hard. Anyway, that's a show. That That's our week three Saturday rundown. Please hop on. I plugged it a couple of times. But if you haven't gotten the hint yet, hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in our college football channel. It's a sharp and very active community this time of year. Don't forget to subscribe to Align's YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long. And subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening these days. And drop us a good review if you like the show. That's going to be a great way to help us grow and reach new college football betting fans. Kelly, before we close up shop here, please let everybody know where they can find your work. Yep, you can find me on X at KFord Ratings. You can find my website, kfordratings.com. I'm over at thelines.com writing a couple of different articles a week. The uh, weekly watchability um, article profiling the top three games of my watchability scores, and then also the NBC primetime game of the week for the Big Ten that week, as we said, or this game this week is uh, Purdue at Syracuse. Or sorry, Syracuse at Purdue. Excuse there me. There we go. Yeah, yep. Well, thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.